He said he'd be away for a week. But that week had come and gone, and still no word from Andrew. Where was he? The only clue? A stack of intimate letters sent by a mysterious woman in Indiana. Her name was Belle Gunness. She was a widow, and she owned a farm bought a few years earlier in 1900. And in her letters, she had lured Andrew to come to her. Except Andrew wasn't the first man she seduced this way. She'd sent many letters to many suitors, always promising love, marriage, and fortune, but only if they could travel to see her, and only if they could bring all their money with them. Do not say one word about it to anyone, read one letter. Not even your nearest relative. By the time Andrew disappeared, dozens of men had already been caught in Belle's web. Like all those other men, Andrew fell victim to Belle Gunness, the Black Widow. When a woman commits murder, she's often given a label. She's assigned an archetype. Maybe it's to try to explain the inexplicable, to make sense of the senseless. But does this help us understand why these deaths happen? Or does it bury complicated truths behind simple assumptions? My name is Tori Telfer. I'm a true crime writer, captivated by stories of women who murder. In this podcast, we'll unpack some of the labels we assign these women and try to learn how they help or hurt our understanding of their crimes. In this episode, untangling the stories we spin about the Black Widow. This is Why Women Kill, Truth, Lies, and Labels, a podcast presented by CBS All Access and its new television series, Why Women Kill. Stream it now at cbs.com slash whywomenkill. There's a popular belief out there that female black widow spiders kill their mates after sex. It rarely happens in real life, but the idea persists. Maybe it's because the image is both creepy and alluring. There's something primal and powerful about the idea of a female spider seducing her lovers and then killing them when they've given her what she wants. The Black Widow is the most common kind of female serial killer. That is, they don't travel around the country looking for victims like male serial killers. Richard Lindbergh is a historian and true crime writer. His book, Heartland Serial Killers, tells the story of Belle Gunness. The first murder that's attributed to her was her first husband, Maude Sorensen, who was a truck driver in Chicago for the Mandel Brothers department store. Maud's, Belle's first husband, died in 1900. One doctor said he'd been poisoned. He was overruled. The official cause of death was heart failure. The thing is, though, Maud's happened to die on a very convenient day, the day when his two life insurance policies overlapped. And so, with Maud's death, Belle made a killing. And while no one could say for sure she'd been responsible, the neighbors were getting curious. So she left Chicago. She bought a 40-acre farm near LaPorte, Indiana, and moved there with her young children. And she looked for a new man. And it was at that point 
that Belle apparently got the murder bug inside of her because within the next three years, she murdered her next husband, Peter Gunnis, a man who was actually a good friend of her first husband. Peter's death was ruled a freak accident. Belle said a sausage grinder fell from the shelf and hit him in the head. Her claim was, apparently, weird enough to be believed. She was again cleared of suspicion. On the surface, life on the Gunnis farm was what you could imagine it to be. Charming, quiet, a lot of hard work. Belle was big and tough. Along with a bit of hired help, she could handle heavy labor. She was an excellent cook and knew how to butcher her own meat, a talent that would soon prove useful as she acquired a taste for murder. There's something macabre yet fascinating about women who kill one lover after another. A Black Widow serial murderer would actually fall under the category of what we would call a hedonistic killer. So this is somebody who kills for profit or thrill or even lust. Marissa Harrison is an associate professor of psychology at Penn State Harrisburg. So if that means killing a husband, killing a boyfriend, killing a potential suitor, killing a roommate, killing a housekeeper, killing kids, that's so they can keep the money for themselves. There's another element to the Black Widow killer that separates her from other serial killers. She lures victims into her web. She gains their trust and usually their affection, and then she kills. Marissa says this pattern is typically seen in women more than in men. She points to our biological histories to explain. We call that the hunter-gatherer hypothesis of serial murder. So men hunt, literally stalk their victims. They keep trophies like hunters do. That's the hunter. Women serial killers gather their victims. They kill the people around them. They gather resources and keep them. What black widow uh, murderers do is they kill their suitors basically until they're caught. Comely widow who owns a large farm in one of the finest districts in LaPorte County, Indiana, desires to make the acquaintance of gentlemen equally well provided with view of joining fortunes. Sometime after the death by falling sausage grinder of her second husband, Belle started luring men into her nest with personal ads. No replies by letter considered unless sender is willing to follow answer with personal visit. Triflers need not apply. Here's author Richard Lindbergh again. She began publishing notices in newspapers, uh, foreign language newspapers, primarily aimed at the Scandinavian communities in Minnesota, in northern Iowa, in the Dakotas. She preyed upon people of her own ethnic origin. Belle was an immigrant from Norway. She had a knack for cooking the recipes of her home country, which made her very appealing to the lonely Norwegian bachelors of the Midwest. She would appeal to their desire for home comforts and family by saying she was an outstanding cook and that in this loving environment, uh, uh, her next husband would run the farm and share in all of its wealth and riches. Not that she needed a man. Belle was quite capable of handling herself. 
There were people who admired her pluck, her audacity to really take over that farm and run it like a man. I mean, women did not run large agricultural uh, businesses or maintain farms of that size in those days. Others found her to be a rough character. She was viewed narrowly with suspicion as being rather odd, rather standoffish. She was not seen as a warm, ingratiating kind of personality. Bell was interested in money and would do anything, anything, to get it. And that desire, it's textbook Black Widow. The three characteristics I would identify is motive, opportunity, and greed. The motive, of course, was to embellish her riches. The opportunity that she had was to know where to find these men, how to appeal to their vanity, how to appeal to their loneliness. And the third was her greed for piling wealth upon wealth. For a black widow serial murderer to succeed, she has to have a certain amount of charm. Though Belle wasn't the most attractive woman in Laporte, She was freakishly good at ensnaring men. The letters she'd exchange with her suitors dripped with sexual innuendo. It helped mute her otherwise blatant attempts to get their cash. And as these men finalized their travels, she'd make sure they followed her plan exactly. She told one of her suitors, advised him to, as he took the train down to Laporte from the Dakotas, There are a lot of bad people on the trains who will rob you. So what I would suggest is take all your money in cash, sew it into the lining of your coat, and then when you get to Laporte, I will deposit it in my account at the Laporte First National Bank. And the gullibility of these men knew no limits because that's exactly what they did. One by one they arrived, and one by one they disappeared. One by one, they fell into the Black Widow's trap. One by one, they died. Like Thomas Linbo from Chicago, John Moe from Minnesota, Henry Gerholt and Olaf Lindblom, both from Wisconsin, and too many more. Often, she would poison them. There's speculation that other times, she'd crack them over the head with a hammer. She would dismember and decapitate the bodies, stuff them into burlap sacks, and bury them in the yard. Or else feed the pigs. No one can say for sure. It became an obsession with her. It became almost an assembly line of one man after another. She was motivated by money, which isn't all that surprising. Maybe it was the mortgage on the farm. Maybe it was just plain greed. Still, money alone doesn't explain what compelled her to become such a violent murder machine. One theory about her behavior takes us back to her younger years, when she was still in Norway. She had several early tragedies in her life. She was abandoned by her suitor, uh, who had made her pregnant. And at a country uh, dinner or dance one night, she was sexually assaulted by another man. And as a result, she had a miscarriage with the baby she was carrying. This embedded in her, I believe, a very strong and fervent hatred of men in general. Plus, she was an immigrant woman, a widow, and a mother in the early 1900s. Life couldn't have been easy for her. And yet, plenty of women have experienced trauma and hardship in their lives. 
It doesn't make them serial killers. Clearly, Belle had the urges of a psychopath and a spider's ability to lure. It made her such a powerful killer, we'll never really understand why she did it. She would simply tell her neighbors and the town folk that these men were hired men and the situation didn't work out so well. It was an era of migration. A lot of single men were traveling the country, and they would often leave families behind, and long periods of time would elapse between letters between family members. She counted on the anonymity of these men, and that's essentially how she got away with it. A guy named Andrew Helgeline, he was the last official victim of Bill Gunness. If Andrew's death was her last kill, it was because of this. Andrew's brother, his name was Osley, was coming to look for him. He told Belle he was coming. She might have decided it was her turn to disappear. The climactic night came on April 27, 1908. The Gunnis household was in a very festive mood. Joe Maxson, the hired man who had been attending to Bell Gunnis's farm and the dairy cattle that were there, was sitting in his easy chair amid this very happy family gathering. In the house, along with Joe, were Belle and her three children. But things went terribly afoul right after that. At around 4 o'clock the following morning, Maxson awakened and sat bolt upright in his bed. The house was full of smoke, and he could hear the crackling and the heat of the fire uh, in the downstairs uh, bedrooms and living room. It was later reported that earlier that day, Bell had been spotted shopping and had purchased a couple gallons of kerosene. But Joe Maxson didn't know this. He thought at first that perhaps Bell had accidentally started a fire with the stove cooking food, but he called out and there was no response. He yelled, Mrs. Gunnis, Mrs. Gunnis, the house is on fire. But he didn't hear a word. He stumbled outside and began yelling, fire, fire. Help came quickly, but it was too late. The house was destroyed. It was at that point when volunteers began digging in the smoldering ruins of the basement of the house. A piano had collapsed from the first floor. Underneath the piano, they found the bodies of Belle's children. And they found a a torso of an adult woman, but the head was missing. It was believed that this body, which journalists described as an unrecognizable mass, was Belle Gunness. As for her missing head, they assumed it had simply, and maybe conveniently, burned off. Local authorities were prepared to chalk the fire up to arson and be done with it. But then, Osley arrived to look for his missing brother. He scoured the farm and discovered Andrew's butchered corpse buried in the yard. Osley would later testify that he recognized Andrew because, quote, when you have been with your brother every day for 15 years, you know him. After that discovery, it was mayhem on the farm. Then investigators began arriving on the scene. The size of the police force doubled when the constables from other surrounding towns outside of Laporte came to investigate. They found body after body after body in the pig pen, in the field, near the lake. It was estimated that Gunnis had murdered 50 individuals. 
Newspapers everywhere, Texas, Kentucky, Washington, reported every detail they could dig up about the Guinness farm. The literal field of bodies investigators found certainly led most to believe that Bell was a murderer. But Bell was gone. There was no one to charge with the crimes. And eventually, people realized that the woman's corpse found in that basement, it was smaller than Bell's body should have been. Bell was, remember, a large, strong woman. This body wasn't. Rumors swirled. Did she fake her death? Did Bell get away? Well, the town of Laporte searched fruitlessly for a period of years. There were Bell Gunness sightings all over the country. Bell was here, Bell was there, but in essence, Bell wasn't anywhere. Many women since Bell Gunness have been labeled black widows. In the United Kingdom in the 1950s, Mary Elizabeth Wilson watched four husbands die, one after the other. At her fourth wedding reception, she joked that she'd be able to use the sandwiches from one husband's funeral for the next one. This black widow was convicted of poisoning two of them. She was sentenced to death. In the U.S. right now, one killer waits on death row for poisoning her boyfriend decades ago. She's also suspected of killing her mother-in-law, her first husband, and attempting to kill her second husband. One journalist called her the Black Widow from Central Casting, meaning she was exactly the kind of female murderer you'd expect to see in TV shows and movies. In Japan, another woman sits on death row after feeding cyanide to a string of lovers, then collecting millions in insurance payouts and inheritance money. Journalists said she was a black widow. She said, ominously, that she would die smiling. The black widow archetype is a pet label for the media, and the spider puns write themselves— it's less helpful to those actually hunting these killers down. A good detective, a good FBI agent is going to strictly look at the facts and not get caught up in any, you know, what Hollywood or TV produces or the media. James R. Fitzgerald is a retired FBI agent. I was a criminal profiler and a forensic linguist, and I'm the author of my memoir series, A Journey to the Center of the Mind. In his career, he's helped solve cases that we might call Black Widow murders. The case that most comes to mind in terms of Black Widow, by definition, is that of Stacey Castor. And she poisoned two husbands. And then when she finally was becoming a suspect, she attempted to poison her 19-year-old biological daughter. And she wrote a fake suicide note for the daughter, which the daughter allegedly admitted killing her biological father and her stepfather. The plan went awry when, fortunately, the young woman didn't die, and she was, in fact, revived. And she said, I didn't kill anybody. I didn't write this letter. And eventually, a mom was taken to trial and was sentenced to prison for the rest of her life. And actually, she died in prison just a few years ago. What risk is there to an investigation if a cop labels someone a black widow? Jim says the term is too loaded to be useful to an investigator. And we all know that the media loves to give nicknames to killers and all as a profile. We were always very cautious that the investigators, the chief of police, who's ever talking to the media doesn't use that type of uh, term because in some cases that actually glorifies the person. It's the poetic quality to the Black Widow archetype that risks glorifying these women. 
For investigators, it may prove distracting. But for the rest of us, Marissa Harrison, who we heard from earlier, wonders if we like the label because it lets us turn horrible reality into seductive myth. I think it does, in certain ways, tap into concepts of femininity and what a woman ought to be doing. On one hand, a woman is using, arguably, her femininity to lure male mates to commit these crimes and and gain financial resources. On the other hand, they're murderers. Is murdering really viewed as a typical female tactic? I'm not really sure about that. I think society's not really ready to accept the fact that it is a woman who can do these things. These are deadly women, and underestimating how lethal women could be, that's a literally a deadly mistake, right? And in the same way that most of us enjoy a good scare on Halloween, the legend of the Black Widow killer is a story that's hard to resist. And it's been that way throughout human history. Listen to Richard Lindbergh describe the scene on Bell's farm after they found all those bodies. Farmers and curiosity seekers and big city folk from Chicago, from as far away as Kentucky and Tennessee, made the trek up to Laporte to witness the excavation. And the appalling thing about it is that it was a festive, almost picnic-like atmosphere. Local hucksters were selling rides on ponies to children. Lemonade stands were set up. There were softball games being played in the field. And one would think that you were at a country fair as opposed to a nightmarish ordeal of death and misery that this whole thing entailed. Some Black Widow stories have a clean ending. FBI agent James Fitzgerald helped put Stacy Castor behind bars. Others are in prison, some awaiting their own execution. But Belle Gunness never had to answer for any crime. She either died in that house fire or staged it all and vanished. She was a spider that got away. And maybe that's why this Black Widow story continues to seduce us all. I'm Tori Telfer. Next time, the story of Lizzie Borden and the woman who snapped. This is Why Women Kill, Truth, Lies, and Labels, a podcast presented by CBS All Access. Hey, it's Tori again. Have you checked out Why Women Kill, the TV series? It's the story of three women driven to kill, all living in the same house, but at different moments in history. It stars Lucy Liu, Jennifer Goodwin, and Kirby Howell-Baptiste. You can watch it online. It's now streaming exclusively on CBS All Access. Go check it out by signing up for a free trial at cbs.com slash whywomenkill. That's cbs.com slash why women kill.